calling all green thumbs and beginning gardeners. It's time to prepare for growing season. If you've ever dreamed of growing a blue ribbon tomato or some fresh fruits and vegetables, then look no further. Welcome back to the Inside OSU podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Briggs. I sat down with David Hillock, an Associate Extension Specialist with Consumer Horticulture at Oklahoma State University. We spoke about prepping a summer garden, a beginner's guide to gardening, and the impacts the winter weather in October and February will have on your plants this summer. Here is my interview with David Hillock on this week's episode of the Inside OSU Podcast. For those who are eager to start their summer garden, or those who may not know where to begin, what is your advice for starting a garden? A couple of things you need to think about is, first of all, your site. You know, what what do you have that will, will, is it suitable to support plant growth? So for most vegetable gardens, you're going to want um, full sun for at least six hours a day. And then, um, you know, suitable, uh, you know, soil, um, you'll want to assess that if you haven't done that before. Um, and then one of the biggest things that people should think about is only grow what you're going to eat. So sometimes we get really excited about growing all these new varieties or new or things that you you get excited about. But if you can't consume them, if you're not going to eat them or you don't like them, your family doesn't like them, then there's no real reason to grow them unless you're growing extra that you want to donate to a local food bank or something like that. But I would check with them too, <laughs> see what they want, what they need. Um, don't just grow things that if you can't get rid of it or you can't use it. And just a personal testimony for me and my family, we live, I'm from Western Oklahoma and we have about 20 acres and my father, bless his heart, he loves to grow anything. And there was one summer we planted an acre of okra and we cannot go through an acre of okra's worth. So we did donate it in town, but it was just there was buckets of stuff. And I was like, we don't, we don't need all this. So I love, I love that you said only grow what you need. Cause some, like you said, some people are just like, let's just grow everything. So I know growing up, we didn't have raised flower beds or anything like that, but some people do. What is your take on them? And also what is some advice for someone who's considering doing a raised bed garden? Well, raised beds are an excellent way to deal with poor soil. So, you know, you can, you can control what you, what you have in that, in that container whether it be a small container or, or a larger, you know, sized container, it's, it's easier to control what, what's, what's happening in the soil because you can uh, amend it easier. You can start with good soil to begin with. So that's kind of one of the, you know, biggest advantages. Um, so it raises it up higher off of what might be poor soil, poor drainage, so it gives you better drainage. Um, and it, and for some, you know, it raises it up higher that makes it easier for you to work it. So some of us are getting older, <laughs> bending over, kneeling down gets kind of rough. So if you have a, a raised bed that can maybe, um, limit the amount of bending and, and, uh, you know, physical work that you have to do. And so when we talk about soil in these raised beds, you know, we have all the Oklahoma red dirt we want in the area. But when you make these raised beds, what kind of soil mixture goes into that? Um, it's usually best to start with a good um, loamy soil, if you can find it. Um, you know, the, our good old clay soils, they are typically high in nutrients, but they don't drain very well because clay soils are, um, are, have, are made up of tiny particles and they just don't usually drain too well. So usually taking, uh, if you can find a sandy loam, 
clay loam or, you know, you can go looking for topsoil. Um, you know, that helps. I would still work in some organic matter, though, some composted material. If you've never done it, if you've never worked your garden before, your landscape before, it's always a good idea to start with a soil test, too. Um, and soil tests can be done through your through the county extension office. And what it does is it tells you what your nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium levels are and your pH. And it's always a good idea to start there um, so you'll know how much fertilizer your plants might need as well. I know that's highly important for farmers. I mean, I come from a farming community, so that is something I'm familiar with. But for those individuals, maybe not as high-scale farming, when you say you go to your local extension office, what is the process? Do you just call them? Is it an email? or? Well, you would get, what you do is you take samples from your garden space, and you, what you want to gather about, like if it's your lawn or your vegetable garden or your flower beds, you want to gather randomly at least 15 sample, core samples or that that are the top from the top six inches of soil. And you mix those all together so that you have at least a pint worth of soil. And then you can just take it down to the county extension office and they will have you fill out a form and then submit it to the OSU um, soils lab and get back a report for you. And then they can help you analyze that and, and help you determine what what's needed. For those warm season crops, what's a great start for beginners to kind of watch and that's maybe not as tedious or something that they can handle before they become more experienced? Well, tomatoes are the favorites of most people um, and they're really not too difficult. They have their challenges, but, but they are a good one to start with. Peppers are actually pretty easy as well. So tomatoes and peppers, if you like them, um, those are good good plants to start with. Um, you can start out with just one or two or three if you're not real experienced, um, you know, and, and give, you know, try it out, see how it works. Um, and we have some great fact sheets, you know, you know, we have um, all kinds of fact sheets through extension that, that help people guide them with their um, gardening um, efforts. We see all these wonderful nurseries across town. So when these individuals go to these nurseries, what are some tips that you would give them when they're planting their first garden for the summer? So when you're purchasing your plants, make sure you inspect them really carefully. So start with good, healthy plants. A lot, a lot of times we bring pests home with us. <laughs> so, you know, look at them closely, um, inspect them for possibly, you know, some insects or some potential disease issues. And if it, you know, if, it, if it's questionable, don't purchase it, you know, home. Uh, a lot of times, you know, for a lot of us gardeners and plant people, we like to go after the bargain plants, you know, wait till towards the end of this, the season or, you know, just kind of pick up those plants that are um, kind of, they put them on discount. And there's a reason sometimes for them to put them on discount. <laughs> and that may not be a good reason. Um, so, so start off with good plants. Be ready to, you know, have your site prepared prior to purchasing your plants so that you can get them in the ground quickly. And then you talk about when we look at these healthy plants and the signs and if there's insects, well, some insects are good, such as pollinators and stuff. So how can you determine what's good and bad when you're looking for those strong, healthy plants? Um, well, usually the bad guys are going to be on the foliage, on the stems, feeding on them. You'll, you'll see yellowing of the leaves um, or, you know, distortion or just the, the leaves look kind of sickly or they're, or they're chewing on them. Um, you know, so there's, it's usually pretty obvious. Um, if it's a bad insect um, that's attacking your plant, usually the pollinators, of course, are flying around and visiting the flowers, and that's, you know, that's that's okay. 
Um, lady beetles, ladybugs, those are good guys. Um, they feed on on soft-bodied insects like aphids and spider mites and scale. So, you know, we want to usually encourage them to be in the garden. We're also talking about when the plants look sickly and everything to transition to when we had the freeze in October and also the winter weather in February. What was that like <laughs> on the vegetation across Oklahoma? Um, that's been really tough. Um, the, of course, the ice storm back in, I think it was October, um, you know, there were still a lot of leaves on the trees. And so that caused a lot of breakage damage to the most, you know, to a lot of trees and shrubs. Um, and we're still recovering from that. Um, it's, and some people probably are still trying to deal with that because they, you know, arborists, the tree care companies got overwhelmed, obviously, with um, people calling and needing help. And so, um, you know, if they haven't had a t- chance to take care of that yet, they can, you know, continue to pursue I would encourage people to find someone who's certified uh, as an arborist, usually ISA certified, uh, to help do it right. Um, just cutting off a broken limb and leaving a great big stub on the tree is generally not the best thing. You know, they're going to have to assess the, the damage and assess the, the health of the tree and where it's located and decide if it's really something they need they want to keep and try to nurse back to help or if it's something that really just needs to be removed. We're, we're still dealing with that. And then we had the you know, this deep freeze in February. And uh, that caused a, that's caused a lot of damage too, mostly to plants that we've kind of pushed to the north, which aren't cold hardy for Oklahoma. So we dipped well below our average freezing temperatures. And uh, so we've had a lot of plants that we're still not sure about. Most plants have leafed out by now and we know, you know where their damage was or is, um, but there's still a few plants we're not really 100% certain if they are going to come back or not. <laughs> um, crepe myrtles is a good example. Um, that's a, you know more of a southern plant. They survive here even with these severe temperatures, but they usually get killed back to the ground. But we still haven't seen them. We're starting to see shoots come out from the base of the plant, which is good. They're still alive. But the upper portions of the plants may not recover. And so we've tried to be patient to see if they're actually going to leaf out. One of the things you can do to kind of check your plants if you're not really sure is do the thumbnail scratch. <laughs> so you scratch the bark on the on the trunk or the twigs. And if it's still moist and green underneath, then that portion of the plant is still alive. If it's brown and mushy or just black, then it's that portion of the plant's probably dead. In some cases, we're still seeing some green tissue, but we're not seeing any leaf growth. So we're not really sure exactly how the plant's going to react yet. So we're still seeing a lot of plants that are like that, that were severely or, you know, maybe still are green down at the base, but have received some severe damage above ground. So you have to just decide again whether or not it's worth trying to nurse it back to health or remove it and replace it with another plant. And it's going to be so difficult, even if someone has to remove and replace it. I mean, there's these great giant trees all across Stillwater and just everyone has these wonderful yards landscape and they would just be ashamed to have to rip it all up. It's hard. You know, people get attached to their plants and it's, yes. and it's really hard to make that decision. And it's expensive too, you know, so it, it is tough, but you know, you just kind of have to weigh the options and decide if it's something you want to continue to try to, like say, nurse back to health. In many cases, you can, you know, they will, like I say, many plants will come back from the base and you can shape them and train them into a new plant. So how can these individuals 
nurse some of these plants back to health or even maybe they don't need as much nursing but they want to ensure healthy plant growth going into the summer so you know now that things most of the things have leafed out you can e- you know easily see where the dead where the damage the dead material is you can cut back to live wood um, cut back cut back to the green tissue or the new new growth um, you know so you can do some light trimming um, and light pruning to get it back into shape and then just try to keep it from getting too stressed the rest of the year. So proper watering, mostly. Don't want to overdo it on the fertilizer right now because um, they, you know, are still tr- trying to come out of that shock that they went into. And putting too much fertilizer on could could stress them some more. So some light fertilization might help. But mostly just trying to keep them from be- getting stressed more this summer. So, if, you know, we don't know what our summer is going to be like, but... Um, you know, proper watering is, is one of the keys. Um, it's, and that's one of the toughest things to do well, <laughs> um, because you don't always know what the soil's like underground. So you have to get out there and poke around a little bit. So, you know, we, what we encourage is you water deep, you know, six, eight, 10 inches at least, and then don't water again until it looks like the soil is drying out or the plants are starting. So just some early signs of some water stress, then it's time to water again. But if you're watering frequently for short periods of time, especially that's very common when we have automatic irrigation systems in our landscapes, um, that often leads to shallow root growth and not really good, healthy plants. So we want to water deep, then don't water again until it looks like the plants need water. Just on the topic of water also, so for those individuals who may not have that automatic irrigation system and are dragging hoses across the yard like me and my family, what does that look like for watering hours of the day? And then also, just as a follow-up question, how can we ensure that our water bill is not going to be outrageous, especially with these dry Oklahoma summers? A couple of things you can do. You Whether you have a, you know, like a, a sprinkler that you attach to a hose, garden hose, or if you have an automatic irrigation system, you should measure how much water you're putting out, how long it takes to, you know, how long should you run that sprinkler to get the amount of water that you want? Uh, generally, we would recommend a minimum or at least one inch of water per week for our plants. Um, as we get into the summer months, you know, as it gets hotter and drier, um, maybe that needs to be bumped up to a couple of inches um, per week. And so you need to know how long you need to run your irrigation system to get one inch of water. And then you adjust your, your run time to meet that need. That way you know you're not wasting as much water. That helps quite a bit just by monitoring and measuring and know know what you're doing, know how much water you're putting out each time you irrigate. Um, the other thing that you might want to do is, again, assess the landscape, what needs water and what could get by with less water. And you know what are your, what are your expectations? For example, Bermuda grass is very, very drought tolerant. And you could get away with not watering it at all, probably, during a summer, during the summers. If a real issue there or if you're on water rationing, you know, for some reason we go on water rationing, they can survive and tolerate a great deal of abuse, <laughs> I should say, where other plants may not, you know, tolerate that. Drought-resistant plants like Bermuda grass and cacti are great for gardens as we enter those hot and dry Oklahoma summers. I want to thank Mr. Hillock for speaking with me as we entered those warmer growing months. 
For more information on gardening and landscaping, visit extension.okstate.edu. Again, I'm your host, Kelsey Briggs, and this is my final time hosting the Inside OSU podcast. And I want to thank all of our listeners and subscribers for tuning in over the past year. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And as always, go Pokes!